Christ gave gifts to us. He gave to some the gifts to be missionaries, some to be preachers, others to be preachers who go from town to town. He gave others the gift to be church leaders and teachers. These gifts help his people work well for him. And then the church, which is the body of Christ, will be made strong. All of us are to be as one in the faith and in knowing the Son of God. We are to be full-grown Christians, standing as high and complete as Christ is himself. Then we will not be as children any longer. Children are like boats thrown up and down on big waves. They are blown with the wind. False teaching is like the wind. False teachers try everything possible to make people believe a lie, but we are to hold to the truth with love in our hearts. We are to grow up and be more like Christ. He is the leader of the church. Christ has put each part of the church in its right place. Each part helps other parts. This is what is needed to keep the whole body together. In this way, the whole body grows strong in love. I always appreciate what... uh Jen has to say to us, we've had a similar conversation with my uh, Friday morning group. It's a group of uh, five retired guys. Uh, only two are people of faith. And uh, one, one, of, one of the members, after this was after we had met on Friday, he sent an NPR article that basically was addressing the very thing that, that Jen was talking about this morning and uh, used different language, but it was talking about the decline of the Christian faith as, as a, moder- as a uh, majority uh, religious tradition in the U.S. I get that. I think what Jen said this morning was that she gets it too. Uh, sad about it. Yes. I wish it was different. Yes. But I understand it. And I think that I would, uh, not I think, I know I agree with her that we've got, a, we've got a lot of blame to accept in that. Uh, and I'm talking about Christendom at large uh, because of the way, the poor way that we have lived out among our neighbors in the world. Well, to the sermon. Um, so this is the second of my last three sermons. You know the beginning of this. I was getting ready for Brandon and Sherry to come, and of course they didn't come, but I thought I really would like to, to address Lifespringers, the last three sermons, before... Brandon and Sherry get here about what was about to happen. The thing that, that got me thinking about it is, what if Brandon and Sherry come and find our current attendance and involvement and attitude and all of that, they'll stay here a year and leave. So that was kind of the beginnings of, of this sermon today. So, Nancy read to us the text, 
And the text basically says, Christ gave us gifts that were meant to be used in the service of his church. That's the summary. There was uh, an Italian named uh, Vilfredo Pareto. Pareto was an economist, and uh, so a lot of his original theory is economic in, it, in nature. But other disciplines began to think about his theory, and they saw applications to their own disciplines, their own uh, vocations. Pareto noticed, in an economic sort of frame of mind, that 20% of the inputs, the economic inputs, resulted in 80% of the outcome. Other groups noticed, other disciplines noticed that 80% of the work done in a group was done by 20% of the group. 80% of revenues, another discipline, comes from 20% of the products. 80% of engine failures come from 20% of possible causes. It's kind of an interesting theory, isn't it? Churches also noted a similar phenomenon. And those of us who, who have preached have witnessed Pareto lived out in a church. I don't know what the exact count would be, the exact percentage, but something like 20% of a congregation does 80% of the work. Now that's just wrong. That's what I'm here to tell you this morning. Is that's wrong. Nancy read to us this morning that that's not what Christ intended. He, he gave us gifts so that we would enhance and build up and improve and grow the church. I think Jesus, he didn't hint about it. He really screamed about it, his whole ministry. He says, count the cost before you build a tower. Why, Jesus? Because it'll be a lousy tower if you decide halfway through it that it's too much. That you want to, don't want to do that. You don't want to make those kinds of sacrifices. Count the cost before going to war. Don't keep looking backward when you're plowing a, a, a row, a furrow. Don't keep dwelling on the past. Look forward and the row will be straight. Unless you take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. Any way you slice it, taking up a cross means sacrifice. Unless you deny father or mother, you're not worthy of me. I don't think Jesus really meant mistreat your parents. I don't think that was his point there, but I think Jesus was wanting us to understand that <clears throat> we have to be able to and willing to pay whatever cost we must pay in order to do his will. 
Whoever says, Lord, Lord, and doesn't do the will of my Father will, uh, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's lots of us like that, aren't, aren't there? <clears throat> we like to say, Lord, Lord. But <clears throat> Jesus said, whether or not I'm really your Lord depends on how, how you live, not what you say. Paul picks up this idea in, in Ephesians 4, and uh, he, he says, lead a life worthy of your calling. Lead a life. <clears throat> this is not indolence. This is not sitting in a corner. This is, this is lead. This is be involved. He says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. Invest. He says in 4.14, no longer children. No longer children, but people, people who grow, who invest in their maturity and their insight and their growth. 4.16, every part works properly. Every part does its thing for the benefit of the whole. It's hard to mis misunderstand that, isn't it? When you... You get to digging around and you get to looking at what Jesus said to his disciples about what his ex expectations were. When our children were young, Jonathan was in the sixth grade, we took a, a trip to Washington, D.C., family trip. And on the way home, uh, we lived in Texas at the time, on the way home, we went through the Smoky Mountains, which is where Bev and I honeymoon. In the Smokies, there was this, uh, this little six-flaggy, small little amusement park. You had to ride a gondola to get up to the top of the mountain where it was. And, and they had in that park what is probably my all-time favorite ride at the fair. It had no motor on it. It was not motorized. It didn't do anything for you. All it was was a, a large arm at the bottom of which hung a cage, at the top of which was a counterweight. <clears throat> and in the center was a pivot point. So you would get in this cage, you and your whoever was riding it with us, with you, and it, it could be four or five people probably that could get in the cage. And the objective was for this group of people to start doing this. And this cage would start moving. See, it's human powered. And before long, this group of people working together got this cage that was hanging at 6 o'clock and it was going all the way up to 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock. And it's kind of interesting what happens because this, this thing starts storing energy. So when you get up to 9 o'clock, to nine uh, you, you've got a, 
enough energy that it's going to drive you down past 6 o'clock and on toward 3. So you start, you know, you keep doing this. You never stop. You go to 3 o'clock over here and 9 o'clock over here and you keep doing this and it keeps storing energy and before long it's at 10 o'clock and then it's at, at noon. And then the magic of this thing is seen because it starts to fall this way headed towards 6 o'clock with newfound power. You never quit, but now it doesn't take as much energy to keep this thing to going. When the operator thought that you'd had enough ride on this thing, he'd press this brake pedal, which would, uh, would uh, press on the bottom of the cage and slow it down. And we used to see if we could make it keep going, keep him from stopping us. I think that is the best picture I've ever seen of the church. The church is like all of us are in this thing. And our joint momentum is what makes us the kingdom of God. But can you imagine what would have happened? There were four of us, let's say there were five of us on this particular day that summer. 20% would be one of us. And can you imagine what would have happened to the cage if four had said, you know, we're really going to sit down, we're tired, we don't want to do this. Maybe a little swing, an embarrassing swing, far less than what it was capable of if everybody had made their contribution to it. I, uh, I got to thinking uh, about the Qantas Club I belonged to in Lodi, 15 years in that club. And every year, that Kiwanis Club would have this pancake breakfast. And it was a citywide thing. We would have people all over town that looked forward to the 4th of July pancake breakfast, and they would be lined up down the sidewalk. It was always at Lake Lodi, Lodi Lake. And it required every single one of us in order to pull this off. One group had to go out to the, to the mortuary where our, our stuff was stored, in one of their storage sheds and load it up on a truck and bring it out to the lake and set it up. And another group had to, uh, to make sure that the grills were clean. And another group had to cook the pancakes and take the tickets and make sure that the, the uh, syrup jars were full and clean. Took all of us doing something. And if anybody in the group had said, you know, I'm really tired, I can't do this, I'm going to sit down, we could have never done it. The group became so good at it that later they bought, this was after I moved down here, they bought a semi-trailer and they kept 
everything stored on that trailer, and so all they had to do was rent a tractor to pull it out to the lake. It, it, was, it was wonderful. They painted it in Qantas colors and all that sort of thing. But it just kept getting better and better and better as each and every person contributed what they had. So then I got to thinking about Paul's churches. You know, we read about all those missionary journeys and acts. What would have happened if only 20% of the churches that Paul went to gave money to Paul's collection? What if only 20% of the Jerusalem elders had given their assent to the decision about the Gentiles in Antioch? Only 20%. 80% said no. What if only 20% of the earliest disciples returned after Jesus' resurrection? So we get the picture. You know. The work of God is diminished by 80%. I really think that churches encourage, actually encourage, indolence. Every one of the churches that I've, I've grown up in, it's, they've made it possible for people just to sleep on the back row. Why is it that we have not communicated to people that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to follow? You're going to hitch up your belt, put on your shoes, and get behind the Lord. I don't know if this was Luke's intention or not. Nevertheless, I find it interesting how Luke reports the progress of the church in Acts, in, uh, early in Acts. It says, the Lord, added, the Lord added to their number such as were being saved. That's on the day of Pentecost. The Lord added. And, you know, that, that's good. But uh, addition takes a long time. It's when you start multiplying. When you start doing square roots and, and things like that, that you start to see real changes occur. This is the cage at 6 o'clock and 3 o'clock. It's early in the church's history. You can see those early Christians moving back and forth in the cage as they, they uh, met together, as they ate together, as they prayed together, as they taught one another, as they took the Lord's Supper together. Moving that cage back and forth as they invited their neighbors. Come, come join us. Come listen to what's happening. Come hear the message about the kingdom of God. 6-7 says the word of God continued to spread. Now it's not adding, it's spreading. And you have this vision of, of uh, something with tentacles that's going out into the world and affecting people all over. 7-17, as uh, the time drew near for the fulfillment of the promise, our people in Egypt increased and multiplied. Talking about the Jews in, in uh, Egypt. 
9.31. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up, living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. And then 16.5. The churches were strengthened in their faith and increased in numbers daily. Don't want you to concentrate on the numbers part of it, but just in the momentum part of it. What, what happened to this group of people that caused the church to be so influential in its world? We know what Jesus wants with respect to his church. It's his church, it's not ours. It's his vehicle for making known the good news in the kingdom of God. His belongs to him. And I, I really think that Pareto forces us to think how seriously we take Jesus' direction in this regard. Pareto's not scripture, but Pareto does speak to human tendency. The second thought that I would like for you to dwell on. Uh, this is my second of my last three sermons, is I would like for you to think about how invested are you in and what God is doing. How much do you think about the kingdom? How much do you think about what, what Christ had in mind as he hung on the cross? And once you've answered that question, the second question is, what does that call forth from me? How should I live in light of what God has done? Let's pray. Oh God, who calls us to a life of following you, a life undistracted by the noise and confusion of the world, may we see how it has always been your way of working to bring people into community so that they might encourage each other and take your message to those not yet in the community of faith. We ask for your direction, your power, and your love as we follow you. Help us to be as uncomfortable as you need us to be. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.